Welcome to season four of Exploring the Prophetic. We are on a journey of spiritual curiosity to see how God's voice can impact us and the world around us. I interview guests from every walk of life and background about how their relationship with God and hearing His voice has given them different opportunities and breakthrough experiences. This season, I'm also asking every guest how they got through a time when they thought they had heard from God or they received a prophetic word from someone else that didn't happen and how God helped them to resolve that. Come join our conversation on Exploring the Prophetic starting now. Welcome to Exploring the Prophetic. I'm your host, Sean Bowles, and we now have video editions. If you want to go to the YouTube page, you can find this show as well there, which is super exciting that you get to see my guests. I love uh, interviewing people so much and hearing their stories, but I get to do it eyeball to eyeball, and you guys don't always get to see that. And it's so fun to see their expressions, their reactions, their heart, their hope. You can just feel the authenticity. Those of you who are still listening, we're going to keep doing it this way as well. Today, my guest is someone who's really, I love him because he's such a disruptor. You know how Uber was a disruptor to the taxi transportation systems around the world, well, worldview, and also eschatology. He came out with a book many years ago called Victorious Eschatology, and it totally tears down rapture theology, reinterprets modern eschatology as you know it. And it's really fascinating. We're not going to really talk that much about that today, but we're going to talk about a positive biblical worldview and his story of the encounter he had that led him into that. And I'm I'm excited for you to hear about it because when you hear this, it challenges maybe some of the, the rhetoric or the narrative you're hearing that's negative or that's pessimistic in Christianity, where you hear Christianity is failing right now, or that it's, it's you know, pastors are depressed and things aren't happening that are great and blah, 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 you know, we hear all these things. <laughs> Do you like that? Blah, blah, blah. We hear all these things and it's just not the the full truth. It's There's some honesty and there's some margins of statistics that you could look at. But when you look at the whole big picture of what God's doing, that his kingdom is only increasing. I love Isaiah 9. And Harold helps believers all over the world to see what God's doing. And he goes to third world countries as well as he lives in America in Yakima, Washington with his wife. And he's going to be sharing from that worldview, both that he's experienced naturally but also where he's experienced it supernaturally. So he's coming up next. My friend Sean Bowles and I wrote a book called Wired to Hear that's available everywhere books are sold. Most people don't hear the audible voice of God. That's all we think, the only way we can hear God. But we have story after story after story of people hearing the quiet, still voice of the Lord or impressions or instinct and intuition, which we write about. And we're hoping that that helps people unlock their relationship and how to hear the Lord and how to walk with the Lord. But what does this look like when you're on set in a movie? Or what does this look like when you're a chairman? or when you're in Starbucks as an employee, how do you use this place of hearing connected to God? It's not just about evangelism. It's also about how to thrive and, and connect who Jesus is to your life, not just to do something for him, but to do something with him. So we're talking to bankers and we're talking to lawyers and doctors and people who are billionaires. We've had these amazing conversations what God does when he speaks to somebody and it actually causes a ripple effect in their industry or causes new ideas or even career changes. It's gonna change everything for you if you haven't already had this activated. Well, this is one of my favorite things I get to do because I get to talk to people like you, Harold. Harold, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Sean. I'm so glad that uh, you've agreed to come on the show because you have such a rich history of cultivating theology and thinking that's sometimes outside the box, but totally relevant 
to conversations that stayed in one pattern for so long and you challenge those, you're a disruptor in some ways, which I love. And you, I've read many of your books. Mm-hmm. You have written a lot of books. Yeah. <laughs> I've read many of them. <laughs> and you've gone around the world teaching these things. You've trained up other people who are teachers. And you've also um, spoken to a lot of, obviously, ministry schools and inspired them around the world. And your curriculum's taught all over the place. But I want to just kind of get into the story of, of where did that all start? Like, where did it start that you went after, as a teacher, you went after theology? Like, what was the God story behind that? Great. So uh, we had pastored a church, uh, but we started the church 42 years ago. Pastor- oh, wow. Yeah, it's been a while. I had a full head of hair when I started. (laughs) (laughs) A long time. We pastored for six years um, in the Northwest U.S. Um, And then I made a shift and we left the pastor and started traveling um, and ministering. But I had a passion that I was not seeing fulfilled. And it's the larger body of Christ. I was pretty frustrated at that Mm. time with the status quo of the church. And I wanted to see change. And I spent a lot of time after I left my church in the spiritual dimension, praying a lot. I dedicated four years just wow. praying wow. at least eight hours a day for four years, trying to switch my whole life. God, what can I do? What's wrong? Can I be a part of change, transforming the church? Um, and I would minister on weekends still during that first four years. But I wasn't seeing yet the change that I wanted. Wow. Not just in the people of God, but in myself. I thought the more time I spent with God, the more I would come out glowing in the dark. Something yeah. happens. As we all do. It's true. I mean, that's a long time to spend with God every day. Yeah. But it, it, it didn't have the effect that I wanted. Wow. Um, miracles were not increasing the way I expected after four years of prayer. And even myself was not changing. Um, I thought again that. Perhaps I would turn into the super holy person, but I was the same person after the end of prayer. It was very disillusioning to me. So I restructured my life, had to rethink things. And that was a huge shift for me. But a lot of my coming out of that four years of prayer was trying to understand many of the supernatural experiences that happened during the four years. Oh, wow. I went to scripture, spent a lot of time in scripture. because so many supernatural, mystical experiences happen. I had wow. no grid and no one to explain it to me. And that's when I began writing, trying to understand these things. So did that. My first book was on the fivefold ministry, but that was 36 years ago. I wrote about well, let me, let me just pause you real fast because you had mystical experiences that actually you couldn't explain. Yeah. And your first book, though, was on the fivefold ministry. Yes. So your first book was really about teaching at the government of the church, even though yeah. you were having these experiences, did that feel like, did the experiences lend to that? Or did it feel like that's what was in you to talk about? Cause you were bringing some um, new thoughts or fresh thoughts to it. Like how did that correlate? So both things. So uh, the end of my pastorate before the four years of prayer, I had dedicated three months to prayer, just seeking God. This was how my pastorate ended. And I had a visitation of God. Um, wow. Three months of prayer, and I saw the church rise in victory and glory before the return of Jesus in this vision. That was after these three Which months. Which is of one prayer. of my favorite things you talk about. But <laughs> keep going. Well, the next day, I gave my church to my associate pastor because mm. I saw the church be transformed before my eyes. One of them was fivefold ministry. One of them, the church shifted from pastor run all over the world 
to fivefold ministry. Wow. But then during my four years of prayer that followed, I realized that it's impossible to have the supernatural the way I desired without the wineskin uh, oh, wow. to contain it. Okay. I don't, without apostles in the earth, I don't think we can handle the miracles, the supernatural, even understanding the spiritual realm. It's an unstable uh, world with the supernatural. You have no understanding unless you've got prophetic and apostolic ministers. Wow. That's so profound. So you went through that four years and you wrote the book on this. Yes. And then how did you start to kind of walk forward? Like how was the book received and how did that change or how did that advance necessarily um, the cause that you were going after? Yeah. So the first book on the fivefold ministry, I released it right away. It was not well received. Okay. So it happened 36 years ago before people were talking about this. Yeah, there wasn't like the little section of the bookstore of apostolic like there is now in a lot of bookstores. There's nothing. There's like a dead zone and then there's Harold. Yeah. yeah. In fact, the first copy I uh, printed, I didn't put my name on it. I just put it signed oh, wow. by a brother in Christ. Um, produced a thousand copies. I don't think anybody wanted them. It was very hard. Well, now it's in, you know, 26 languages. So it's been a long road to get. Yeah, yeah. But it took a long, hard road. Um, and it was partly because of my attitude, though, too. Mm. When I had this visitation from God, I was so determined that the church across the earth is going to go through a reformation. I was so determined to teach it to the people, get them to receive it. I was forceful, uh, way oh, yeah. too forceful back in those days. Uh, I mean, this is the nice me. I had to go through a lot of things <laughs> to come to this place. So. A lot of my, I went through times when I was not well received, but it was mm-hmm. much of because of my own driven nature to try to get people to understand much more forceful than I should have been. Well, I want to go, I want to ask a question about that because so many people are kind of what I call spiritual self-awareness. Yes. It's like when, you know, it's emotional intelligence, but also self-awareness, but from the spirit, not just from like humanity being mindful but it's actually God leading us into kind of that inner transformation, that change. And I see that with maybe Joseph in the Bible where he came out of, you know, I'm going to rule y'all, you know, I'm going to, and it actually created jealousy and competition. Like a lot of his battles initially were because of probably some of his own, this is my, my own assessment, or probably some of his own attitude. And then by the time he gets into Pharaoh's house, like he's exactly what he dreamed of, but it's in the right form. And I feel like a lot of people in the body of Christ, in my estimation, are going through, including myself, spiritual self-awareness, spiritual, emotional intelligence, yeah. just spiritual intelligence to me is what I'm calling it. I don't have a better language. That's my grasp for language. When did you start going through that process to where you felt like there was a real awareness of this? And, and you're describing it perfectly for me. That's what I went through. You know, like both Moses and Joseph go through this thing. They, they have a vision. They know what God wants, but there's a drive inside of us. There's a mixture of pride in me thinking I'm going to, I, in conquering the world and trying to change things, I was condemning the present church system. I was mm. condemn, you know, condemnation flowed out of me. It was just not good back in those days. So um, it didn't work well when I first started ministering that way. Um, but I do see it as my fault. A lot of the supernatural things that I would say them, people weren't ready to hear them back at that time. Um, and it was partly I would say things that I did perhaps to prove that what I have is from God. 
where okay. I don't think I do that anymore. I rarely tell about the supernatural. I don't even talk about it very much um, as I used to back then. So and we do see a lot of supernatural, especially overseas. We spend about a third of our life overseas. So Wow. Yeah. Well, and you guys are, yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard some of your stories from the past of just crazy miracles and signs and wonders that have happened and whole churches that begin to start Bible schools and start apostolic ministry because you guys, you guys become a before and after moment for them when you go. And so it's, it's amazing that you went from one state. And I think a lot of people, and I, that's why I think I like where this conversation is going in this context, because I would call you a reformer. Like you are just a natural reformer. I've read your books. Some of them present such new ideas that it, it, you have to either completely come out of a belief or a system you were in to come into something new, or you have to disbelieve you. Yes. You know, that's, that's your two options sometimes with some of the stuff that you read, especially some yeah. eschatology and stuff, which I love, but not everybody has received well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think, you know, as a reformer, cause there's so many people who are raising up right now. I'm, I have this coalition of young leaders around me and so many of them are reformers, but there's that place, that transition of what reformation actually looks like. And I feel like the beginning stages is complaining. Totally. Like that hunger. What would you say to people who are, who have that reformation that the church has to change, the face of Christianity has to change. Mm-hmm. Like, where are you at in that journey now? Yeah. I, because I felt like I went through it. I'm at peace in my life now. It took a long mm-hmm. time to get here. Um, so my wife and I are in our sixties. So we're, we've been doing this for a while. But I see it all around. The whole body of Christ is in transition. Even this COVID thing is coming at a key time in history. So I once saw the statistic that one half of all ministers in America were born again in the Jesus movement in a four-year period. Yeah, there was between 1968 and 72. One half of all ministers in America were born again in a four-year period. Well, that means they're all in their late 60s right now. Over half of the ministers in America which means they're all handing their churches over right now to the next yeah. generation. Yeah. So that's just the statistics on the age of the ministers. They're passing it over. Now we've got this COVID thing, which is facilitating much faster. But the church in our country is in the hands of the next generation right now. This mm-hmm. is the time in history when it's been handed over. And the next generation is not going to reproduce what we had 50 years ago. Yeah. They have got a revival spirit, much more so like in the Jesus movement. We didn't know what we were doing. It was total chaos. This present people that are on fire in Reformation, they've got vision. They know where they're going. They are more sold out than we ever were. You know, and I just look at, well, that four-year Jesus movement, it produced something today. But the next, this generation is far beyond what we ever were. It's not just a few people. It is the generation that is now in the earth. And I'm so full of hope and faith, you know, so. I love that because I think some people right now are looking at this generation maybe with their glasses only half full sometimes, you know, and they just, when they look at it, and I'm, I'm like you, I feel like I look at it and I go, wow, there's something so unique. And even where maybe... The generation of ministry that I was raised up in, I was I was young when I started. So when I was raised up, though, by those people, you're talking about people who got saved around the Jesus people movement. Yeah. And, you know, we, my parents, 
they got saved in that Jesus people movement. So they loved to go to church meetings and go to yeah. events and go to, and they were escaping the world because it was really harsh. And then, you know, my generation and beyond are like, let's go into the world and transform it. You know, like I'm, I don't want to stay in the church. I want to, I want to see what God could do through the entertainment industry. I want to see what God could do through politics. I want to see what God, and, and it's been like, it was a clash even in our own family for a while because my parents were like, why are you leaving your inheritance, your spiritual inheritance for the world? You know, yes. and I've watched a lot of pastors kids because we had over 70 of them in our church locally in L.A. at one point. Amazing. And they went through that where they they came out to L.A. to pursue music or entertainment or arts or uh, entrepreneurship, not ministry. And their parents are like, what, what's wrong with our children? But they had the same passion, but they were going after something else. And I feel like you've you've communicated in, in two minutes what a lot of people in the church don't have hope and belief for yet, which is there's something really hopeful in this generation. And they're taking Christianity to, it's not 2.0, but they're just taking it in a different direction. That was a God ordained direction that a lot of people don't see. What do you think led you to that hope? Or what are you seeing? Tell us more about it. So I had this experience, like when I was talking about the last three months that I was pastoring, I started with frustration. Church is not in America doing what's supposed to do. Then I saw this vision and it changed my life. It transformed wow. a different path. Now I can't convince people from my vision. You know, that's why I feel like I have to convince them from the word of God, but my vision will change me. Now I got to use the scripture to teach everyone else. But I saw the church across the earth, rising up in victory, and power and glory all over the earth before Jesus returns. So that changed my eschatology, my understanding of the future. Um, I'm eternal optimist. I just believe the church is much better today than she was when I was pastoring. Um, it's so much farther ahead. The churches love each other. They cross denominational lines today. That just wasn't true. And with my parents, you were born in a denomination. You stayed in it all your life. Um, it, it was just a box. There's no more box. The church isn't even in the walls anymore. The church is the people of God in a region. That was never thought of when I was, you know, pastoring. You know, you had your church and you tend to think you're better than everyone. I mean, just, you wouldn't say it, but it's in the back of your mind. Um, wow. The box is gone. And I agree. The box of the pastor is no longer there. Now they went to five-fold ministry, but the box of the church itself, the walls are gone. Um, yeah. And so it's now the church in the region. Well, and I think of when Martin Luther nailed his thesis, the Wittenberg door, and I think of how it was so simple. I mean, I know it was, it was very complex what he said, but it was like so simple. Like you get to read the Bible for yourself. Yes. Right. You get to pray for yourself. Yes. Like you, to, you actually have your own relationship, but you're justified by your own faith, not by someone yes. else's. And I think of this generation, like ultimately, even what's just happened with COVID is they had to be justified by their own relationship with God. And I always add a third kind of tenet to that, which is not just reading your Bible and praying but hearing God or getting direction from his heart for yourself. Because I think we're coming to that generation that believes like, I don't need to go to my pastor for prayer first. I can actually go to God first. And then my pastor might confirm that or someone else outside might confirm that. But the people are taking their relationship with God really seriously, which gives me hope of what you're saying as far as a hopeful end time scenario. Yeah. Uh, it's really interesting. Cause like I, I not around a lot of negative. I just, I probably, cause I just talk positively most of the time, but so, but every once in a while we, we get slammed with something that comes up from, and I don't want to, I don't want to poo-poo a group, but like the QAnon groups or like people who are looking into politics a certain way or people who are looking into, even because we do work against uh, anti-human trafficking. So I have like these internet online groups 
that come up with all the conspiracies. And I can give you lists of how many politicians have been arrested and are currently at trial right now for child pornography and human trafficking, that kind of stuff. And that's discouraging. When I look at that, I grieve. But I also look at it and go, you're catching these thieves in our generation. God, they're powerful men and women who are, and as opposed to spinning off into the whole conspiracy of looking at what the enemy is doing or looking at what man's doing, I'm just looking at God going, I have a list of names that have been arrested. Yes. And this is a great beginning. Like this has never happened in any other generation. We now have it. What do you think as far as, because you teaching kind of from the, your eschatology and it affects everything else you teach. Yes, it does. And so, and it affects the way you live your life. What do you think as far as coming from that place of what you call victorious eschatology or what you call, you know, um, because of this encounter you've had and because of how you teach the word, what would you say to this generation? Because there's a lot of people who aren't living in the land of hope yeah. right now. They're living in the land of disappointment in the church, in their own theology, in their own experience with God. And they listen to this podcast. We have people who are super encouraged like us. And there's people who are like, I'm not in that place of hope. And this is the only place I hear hope. What would you say to them? Yeah. So that's why I think the teaching gift is so important too, because we need a worldview that is glorious, that is biblical. Because I find so many people, they think they have an optimistic view and then they listen to the news or they listen to someone who's negative and they can flip just like that. They yeah. can be optimistic an hour later, it's all going downhill. That's because they don't have a solid foundation. And setting in the scripture, the concept that the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ is Lord, he is reigning and there'll be no end to the advancement of his kingdom. Yes. Boom. You can't yeah. you get that settled and you interpret the world through a biblical worldview rather than let the world form your worldview. You have to think differently. And so if we just settle the issue, you know, is God winning? Many Christians still think Satan is God of this world. Mm -hmm. but, no, he was dethroned 2000 years ago. He yeah. was God of this world. But Jesus says the ruler of this world is about to be cast down. I believe he was cast off of the throne, and Jesus is now Lord, and there'll be no end of the increase of his government. Had we settled that in our worldview, we wow. would be rethinking all the events around us. We would not be seeing them as failure. We'd be looking like what you said. Um, look at how the light is exposing sin in people right now. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. it's amazing. One example that's been profound to me is like when President Obama got elected. Okay, now, he has some doctrines that, and some thoughts that I don't agree with, okay, politically. But it was phenomenal what happened. I have a worldview that says God is always winning. So somehow God is winning, even though there were some views he had that I didn't agree with. So I'm, I was in October in Kenya, Africa, every, every October for 17 years. That's when I do my leadership conference there. And every church I went to before he got elected, the month before he got elected, was praying he would get elected. Now, I'm not going to oh, try yeah. to change them. I'm not trying to change their politics. I just let them pray. Um, but then when he did get elected, it's amazing how they shut down and danced on the streets. They, they mm -hmm. thought, because he's, President Obama's background is Kenyan, at least a portion yeah. of it. So everybody in Kenya was excited. He made it, he made it, he made it. You know, we can't understand that, especially white Americans can't understand that. But two positive things happen. And again, if you're optimistic, you're going to be looking for the positive. You're going to say, God, how are you yeah. winning in this? One thing is not just Kenya, but people all over the world who aren't white felt something broke on the earth. 
that no longer yeah. do white men rule the world. Somehow, something is broken in the realm of the spirit. A lid has been lifted. They felt that even if people our color didn't, all over the world, every country on earth, something has changed. The second thing, which is even more exciting for me, is what we're involved with. My wife and I are primarily with the Muslim awakening right now. Uh, we do a lot wow. in evangelizing Muslims. Well, when President Obama got elected, to me it was a sign. I didn't get it until afterwards. But um, whenever something is going to happen in the world of spirit, big, God's going to break a bondage, it has to manifest in the natural. It's like the very rocks cry out. Like I believe when the communist wall fell and Reagan says, tear down that wall, those rocks had to break. There's something, when God does yeah. something big, it's going to happen. David Hasselhoff helped. I'm just yes. kidding. <laughs> sorry. Keep going. So when President Obama got elected, he publicly, repeatedly said that he's a Christian. Now, it doesn't matter what you believe about his Christianity. It's just the public statement he would say. Yeah. But his father was a Muslim. Now, the Quran says if the father's a Muslim, the son is a Muslim. The single strongest bondage on Muslims for not becoming Christian is my father's a Muslim. That is it. Wow. The reason they will wow. not become Christians is because my father's a Muslim. That is the bondage for one third of humanity on this earth. Wow. Now, yes, it's not the Quran. It's not Muhammad. All those are side issues. The reason I'm a Muslim is my father's a Muslim. And so here, the single most influential person on earth, Barack Obama, his father was a Muslim and he said he was a Christian. That gave permission for 2.4 billion people, I'm sorry, for 1.8 billion people to consider wow. Jesus Christ. Since the election of President Obama, more Muslims have been saved since his election than all preceding 1,400 years. In the oh last, last 11 years, more Muslims have been born again than preceding 1,400 years. That is wow. his soul. Something happened. And wow. Look at, well, he, President Obama believed differently than me in this area this morning. So what? God's always winning. God's always doing something yeah. bigger than you know. You're just too stupid to see it. Okay? You got to get a different <laughs> worldview. Your worldview so will open your eyes to see God's yeah. winning. And stop getting down into the stinking thinking and look, God, how are you winning in this? What are you coming out of this? So uh, we, it's it's interesting when you said that. Let me just interrupt real fast because I was reading a statistic that before COVID, only up to twelve percent of uh, Americans would travel outside the United States. So, and sometimes only six percent, depending on the year, which shows you the American church. If we're not traveling outside and we don't see, like I, I travel all the time, you travel all the time, so we can see that one man, Obama, even in the negative side of him, isn't going to destroy our nation, and it's still the best nation on the earth. And thank God for Obama. You know, like, thank God for Joe Biden, yeah. even, even in the midst of what's going on right now. It's like a lot of people, I say that and it triggers people because of what's going on right now in our nation. Yeah. But I go to places where there's war zones and where there's red light districts that, well, they'll never see help and places where the gospel's never been preached. 
and you go into this corrupt system where everything's done by bribes and evil and you look at it and go, and then God shows up and it's so beautiful. And you're like, see, God can show up anywhere. And I come back to America where it's like, we have the covering of a Christian nation, yes. regardless of who's empowered. I'm like, there's still a grace here that there's, it's, there's nowhere else on the earth. And I feel it's so interesting that if you look at the statistic, not only do we not have the theology for it, but we don't have the world experience to look outside. Cause I mean, like one other thing I'll say about it is that, you know, I was looking at one of the kind of Christian funded news apps. It's more like an extreme Fox news. And I was looking at it and I, and I have no problem with the app other than it cycles negative news, just like the other news yes. networks. Yeah. So I saw like, you know, of course they're against, it was an American news network. So they're against all the Democrats. And there's one particular one that comes out with ugly images of her face over and over and over. And so you're being programmed to right. just see what's negative and what, what's not happening in her party and what's going, you know, you're not yeah. thinking about what is God doing with everybody? You're not yeah. thinking your citizenship is to heaven first. You're not thinking of like, what can God do in our generation? You are now stuck with what's not happening because that's all you're hearing about. So I love what you're saying because there's something about seeing Obama. And I was, I was the exact same. I love that I could say this because I can't always say this because I've been wrong about a lot, but with, with different political leaders, I, I was the exact same with Obama. So for me, it was no, like for me, when I was, prophesying to Trump's administration. I've been prophesying to Obama's people in his administration. Yes. I, I wasn't different when I went to Trump or mm -hmm. now with some of the people I prophesied to in the administration of Biden. I, I didn't change like and became, become a worshiper of a campaign. I just transitioned because I'm looking for what God's doing so we can partner our faith to it versus just um, poo-pooing what's not happening and being afraid of who the person might be because of course I'm in Hollywood where people thank God from the platform and have three wives, but you know, like or three mistresses or whatever. But I mean, so I'm used to people not being, you know, all together, but I feel like a lot of Christians, when they listen to you, it's like, they go, well, is that just a positive spin you're putting on things? <laughs> How do you address that? Like, so, and I would, I'm coming from the place of saying, no, this is the biblical worldview. Um, my yeah. worldview is not only biblical, it's worldwide. Most of the people with that yeah. critical attitude are sitting in their little house looking at the TV <laughs> screen and other things. They're, they're missing the big picture. You know, like back with the whole Muslim thing, there was recently on Al Jazeera, that's the Muslim worldwide television yeah. station, they were interviewing some leading uh, Muslim leaders in, in the world. And they were bemoaning the fact that they're losing 17,000 Muslims per day to Christianity. They were wow. worldwide <laughs> Al Jazeera. Now, their numbers are 17,000 per day are becoming leaving Muslim. Our numbers are around 30,000 a day. So somewhere between 17,000 oh and 30,000 Muslims per day are now making the transition. Okay, well, I mean, that's, that is a biblical proportion move of God. It is a biblical proportion. And we're like asleep. Yeah, we're asleep. Crazy. And, you know, and like in China, 29,000 per day, not Muslim, just people are being born again. 29,000 a day. For every human being born, there's four born again right now. That's never happened in history. That's, yeah, what's, got chills. that's what's going on in the world. And yet Christians got their head in, in a hole because they don't have a biblical worldview. Biblical worldview is yeah. Jesus sat on a throne. And sometimes people ask me, okay, well, when's the tipping point? When like a nation was Muslim, but then it become Christian. When is the tipping point? What, what is the number? The tipping point was 2,000 years ago when Jesus sat on the throne. Mm. Everything, everything tipped. Mm. 
It is all moving in the direction where Jesus Christ is Lord and he's taking over. The kingdoms of this earth are becoming the kingdoms of our God. Here, here, that's the tipping point now. Okay, so Harold, if someone's going to start with you today and yeah. uh, just getting your teaching, getting renewed in their spiritual perspective, their biblical worldview, what do they get first? Where do they go online? What do they get first? Yeah, so I think they need to settle the issue of the kingdom of God, that it's here and it's expanding here. You know, even when we talk about eschatology, I want to present people with eschatology until they learned about the kingdom, because there's no frame of mind. You have to understand Jesus is Lord, the kingdom's growing. Once you get that resolved, I even tell pastors, don't teach victorious eschatology until you've taught your congregation about the kingdom for a year. You get them used wow. to the idea kingdom's available and it's growing, dominoes yeah. will fall. It's only a matter of time until you have to switch your view of the world, because if the kingdom is growing, Jesus Christ has taken over. But as soon as yeah. you get that, now you got to have a consistent theology because the kingdom's growing. What does that mean? If the world looks like it's getting darker, then it's my perception, not the world. I'm perceiving it wrongly. So it's, is it really true that the kingdom's growing? Is Jesus really sitting on the throne? So I'd like to establish those things. You know, the whole prophetic thing to me is the wind of God going ahead of this. Everything that God is doing, what does he do without first telling the prophets? Um, and so, you know, and there's struggles with our concept of God. I had to shift. My God's a good God. He's a powerful God. The very foundation of a healthy worldview is a good God. And that's, yeah. you know, and everybody, every Christian would say God's good, but they don't understand it the same way. You can walk into yeah. a building, a church building, and immediately know whether they believe God's good or not, in the sense of good to me. You can feel it. In yeah. the, it's like the, even the worship song, it's like, are they singing the dirge or are they singing like, <laughs> well, we got to end our interview. And I love this interview so much. What is your website? And what is the first book someone should get at your website or the first program that you have? So World Cast Ministries, one word, World Cast Ministries, um, or my name, Harold Eberly, uh, and just put those in there. And so uh, there's 32 books in there, but if someone's ready for Victoria's eschatology, you know, that's our most popular book. It's in you know, yeah. more languages. Yeah, well, than it changed my, my dad's mind. Who was a, oh. a, I mean, my parents were rapture evangelists back in the seventies. They would get people saved based on the fear of missing out. And then <laughs> years later, I gave my dad your book, Victoria's eschatology. And he was like, Messed I believe this in one day and one day I believe, how do I believe this so quickly? I've laid down my other theology. So I know uh, it's a powerful book because if it can get an engineer colonel in the air force yes. to it's change this theology in one day, yeah. you're doing a great job. Yeah. <laughs> Your encounter was real. It's a good way. Well, thank start. you so much for being on so much. We so appreciate your perspective. I hope to have you on again. Thanks bro. Do you want to be mentored in hearing God's voice? It's not hard, but it takes time, examples, practice, and conversations to really get in the place of being able to get revelation and also to know how to interpret and reply what God's showing you. I have started an online community through our platform, Transcend God Mentoring, where you receive weekly videos, weekly live group mentoring, monthly special events, and all of our past e-courses on the gifts, marriage, and relevant topics to your spiritual journey. Come join me and all my platform contributors to learn how to walk out a thriving journey of hearing God. 
Thanks for listening to Exploring the Prophetic, part of the Exploring Series podcast. These podcasts are made possible by generous donations of listeners just like you. Become a partner or visit us at bullsministries.com with your one-time donation today. Also, if you are enjoying the podcast, please become a part of our family by subscribing. Connect to us at www.bullsministries.com where we want to resource you with our articles, books, weekly mentoring, e-courses, and more. Or download our Bulls app free at our web store. We love to hear your feedback. Drop us a line and also your rating, reviewing, and sharing makes such a difference in the world for people learning about us. Thanks for listening.